I don't think there are as many product introductions as I've seen in previous years. I think uh, I think what what I'm beginning to see more of is uh, uh, companies trying to reach out to customers to help them be more effective and efficient in the way they use the products that they've gotten. Um, so that, consolidation of uh, technology advances or uh, just uh, basically products to services. Well, I think the wagon train hit, hit the Pacific ocean and they're, they're not quite sure what to do, but I think, uh, I think that that happens in, in any, uh, in any uh, process that starts with a disruptive innovation and, and builds a market. I think a lot of the niches have been covered. And uh, so rather than covering new niches, we're, we're coming back and seeing how we can do better in the niches that we have. I mean, didn't we think that, uh, you know, just after the space race? I mean, isn't there a continuous uh, evolution of uh, innovation or is it just iterative? Well, I think you're right. We did uh, experience that at the end of the space race, but it, at the end of the space race, the space race kind of ended and, and uh, a whole new um, paradigm started, which happened to be uh, what we later called high tech. And, um, you know, these, these paradigms are, I think, self-limited. Uh, they, they start with disruptive innovations. They go through a process of uh, deploying the innovation and building out infrastructure for it. Um, once once that's done, uh, in the second half, you end up trying to uh, extract as much efficiency out of you know, your capital investment as you can. And I think that's that's where we are right now. I think um, if you go back to the turn of the century, uh, um, cloud computing was was new. It was a, a new kind of thing, and um, uh, there was a great deal of infrastructure that needed to be built out uh, in terms of the applications themselves, in terms of the internet, and in terms of uh, you know basic things like uh, uh, better browsers and better desktops and you know the whole m mobile um, uh, thing, and uh, all that's largely been done uh, at this point. So we're at the point where we're beginning, uh, or we've been at the point for for a while where um, efficiencies uh, are, are top of mind. So, you know, for example, I, last week I was at Trailhead. Trailhead is, is all about uh, helping people learn how to uh, develop and program uh, on the Salesforce Lightning platform, as you know. And uh, uh, a, big part, a big part of Trailhead is... is quote unquote how to do it right how to do it effectively how to do it efficiently and how to get the technology into the hands of more and more users well the I, you know, trailhead always reminds me of the uh, early days of user based computing when uh, I was trying to decide between an Amiga which was a, a, a Commodore uh video computer basically and <clears throat> excuse me and a mac uh it, it or a apple ii i guess at that point whatever whatever it was and uh, i ultimately uh went with something that i thought was 
going to have a bigger impact in the future than something that was clearly going to have a dominant impact. I, I felt that the Mac was, or the, the Apple was a, uh, clearly a leader uh, and was backed by uh, a visionary uh, you know, founder or two. And so it had a good chance. I just, it was just a little bit too expensive for what it did, uh, given my interest in music and movies and uh, the, the entertainment uh, industry that I was in at the time. So uh, I guess this is a, a long way around to saying uh, I can re still remember the excitement of, of this uh, transition or this transformation that we were going through, you know, basically under the uh, rubric of personal, uh, the ability to be able to do things you couldn't do before. And so when you mentioned mobile, uh, to me that would seem to be a, a never-ending uh, in, uh, innovation. Yet, apparently, uh, this is we're in consolidation mode. Well, I think yeah, uh, yeah, you make you make an interesting uh, observation. Um, what does LTE stand for? Long-term evolution. So, yeah, we're we're in this this long-term evolution thing, but. Uh, you know, we're, we're making really, really good use of, of what we have. And, and to your point, um, one, of the, one of the great things about all that primitive equipment that we started using in the 70s and 80s is, is that uh, we were comparing ourselves to uh, an era before that equipment, uh, to an era when uh, the fax machine was a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, cut and paste really had... Uh, uh, serious uh, analog analogs. Um, you 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 really did cut and paste a document together and retype it, and so uh, being able to do some of those things automatically uh, was a big deal. And and I remember the euphoria, just just like you do, of uh, of seeing some of that stuff come to life. Yeah, just the ability to uh, you know I I was reaching for the word empowerment, personal empowerment seem to me to be what computers were about. I, I agree with you. They, they certainly were at the time. But now, not now, huh? Well, they are now as well, but they're also uh, uh, to tools, tools for, uh, for mobsters, to tools for uh, hackers, for, for people who will do uh, illicit things. And mm -hmm. so... So the technology is, is not an unalloyed good anymore. Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, obviously that's true, uh, but I'm not sure whether that hasn't always been a problem with technology. I mean, you know, cars, you could get from here to there, and you could also run over something between here and there. Uh, I mean, there was always the downside as well as the upside. You're you're absolutely right. You make me think about the Great Gatsby, one of the one of the uh, most important scenes in in that book, which came out in the 1920s, was a car accident about somebody getting killed, getting run over. Um, 
So, yeah, that's always been the case, but uh, it's usually been the case that uh, we didn't see those kinds of things until we were pretty late into the adoptions phase. And uh, uh, usually in the second half of a long wave, we, we start seeing the, the, uh, the underbelly of, of whatever technology we're using. And, you know, by then it's too late to go back. It's too late to say, no, I don't want to drive a car or mm -hmm. no, I don't need this computer on my wrist. Well, so it's not too late to understand that there, I mean, you've talked in your uh, book and other uh, venues about K-waves and, you know, these kind of long cycles that uh, innovation is a part of. And, uh, and one of the early signs of a K-wave, if I'm not misspeaking here, I I always feel that I just am completely ignorant compared to you about this uh, and many subjects. I just make it up. Well, yeah, but, you know, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Whereas for me, I, I just sound like I'm using the word uh, uh, vociferously. You're doing fine. Um, I think, uh, yeah, K-Waves are all about disruptive innovation and uh, early on disruptive innovations. You know, one of the, one of the interesting things about um, all of this is that um, a, a K-wave, a, a, a disruptive innovation doesn't just happen. A disrupt, a, there are lots of disruptive innovations that just sort of build up inside of uh, society and uh, go nowhere until, you know, the seed crystal gets planted and, and somebody says, oh, this thing works because we have this, this, and this to work with it. And, mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden we have a paradigm. Coincident uh, innovation uh, uh, that doesn't uh, apparently link up until it does. Exactly, exactly. Can I tell you a quick story? I think so, yeah. My favorite uh, example of coincident uh, innovation uh, was the partnership that evolved between John Wilkerson, who invented a, uh, a boring machine, and I'll explain that in a second, and uh, um, James Watt, who invented the modern steam engine. Uh, Watt needed to build uh, perfectly cylindrical cylinders and, and in, in which uh, pistons could move up and down with uh, very little friction, but very little loss of steam pressure and uh, doing it by hand made steam engines very expensive. Uh, Wilkerson was in the business of making cannons and his great invention was to take a block of, of metal, uh, whatever he was using to make the, 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 the cannon and drilling a perfectly uh, vertical hole into the block of metal, uh, which provided the cylinder. And if you think about it, a cannon and a cannonball needs to have the same tight fit uh, as a piston and a cylinder. Uh, so, you know, these guys lived in the Midlands. They were separated by however many miles. And uh, it was hard in those days to, uh, to trade information. They had things like the Royal Society that traded uh, ideas about scientific advancement. But long story short, uh, Watt met Wilkerson in 1774 
And they, they said, wow, look what we've got together. And uh, by 1776, an incredibly short time, uh, given that it was uh, almost 250 years ago, uh, incredibly short time, uh, Wilkerson had helped Watt build the modern steam engine by, by giving him the ability to have perfect cylinders. Um, so that's a, that's a case of coincident uh, invention. Uh, you had two guys doing something, and uh, it was the merger of the, their two separate ideas that uh, really provided the critical mass for the disruption. So today, uh, am I mistaken in thinking that perhaps we have too much communication now, and therefore uh, there's too much information that causes certain of these coincident discoveries to be overlooked? I mean, why is this? Uh, it would seem that this is a much better environment for collaboration than it used to be, but uh, apparently not. Oh, I don't. I don't know if I would agree with that. I think. Uh, I think the the times are the times. Uh, we we have things like uh, search engines that enable us to to go out and find interesting things. Uh, there's Google Scholar, which I love to use because it's uh, it's full of scientific papers, and you can really drill into something uh, with with just a, a few keywords. Um, I remember once I found something uh, medically relevant in something I was uh, trying to evaluate, and I was just blown away by finding an exact fit for my need uh, in in a scientific paper. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, there's plenty. I think there's there's plenty of information, but uh, there are plenty of ways to access it. I think, I think uh, we we simply need to be better at uh, asking questions. So, what are the what do you think are the dominant uh, technology considerations that are causing so much of the trouble that we have in this society? So much of the trouble. Well, I'm I'm not sure where that one goes. Does just because. I think well, I mean, we hear about fake news. We hear about, uh, you know, Facebook's uh, intransigence about uh, uh, doing everything to increase and to extend their business model and so on. Uh, these are uh, the sort of dark side or at least the downside of the incredible innovations of, of the past, you know, 10 years for, for sure. Well, you're right. Uh, they are they are uh, key and critical to the last ten years of, of innovation. But I, I would say that uh, I would say that the problems bedeviling us right now are not technological problems. They're not going to be solved by the technology. They're going to be solved by um, um, intellectual tools, uh, contracts, legislation, uh, standards. Um, you know, you can go all the way back to the 1800s, and David Ricardo was. Uh, a British economist was uh, writing about uh, rent-seeking behavior, and and um, you know it was causing a st uh, stratification of society and also a stagnation. And it wasn't it wasn't that uh, it, it, there, there was no technical fix to it. What what needed to happen was uh, uh, innovation. In that case, needed to be, to be spurred in in different fields. Um, people people were focused on on. Uh, land ownership, and uh, it turns out the next big thing was was not land ownership, 
or even uh, say it was transportation, not even canals, but railroads. And uh, people who understood that were able to to hop on the next paradigm and and do quite well. So I think, uh, you know, whether you're talking about uh, social media, Facebook, or or many of the other problems that we see today, what we're really seeing is uh, um, advanced middle age of uh, of technology and the need for more modern uh, modern uh, contracts and, and standards. You used the term rent seeking. Was that did I just misunderstand you or? No, yeah, rent seeking behavior. It's a it's a thing. Basically, it uh, it uh, describes a landowner um, simply trying to uh, monetize his investment and ownership in in real property and collect rents, not necessarily going out to do any great innovation or uh, improve the land or anything else, just trying to get X dollars per acre or whatever, or pounds or however they measured things back then. Mm-hmm. So uh, this kind of suggests to me something that uh, I'm, I'm always looking for uh, the silver lining, believe it or not. And to me, the silver lining of the impact of social media is something that we don't yet dis- uh, understand fully about social media. It's not to, uh, I, I understand your uh, uh, impressions of the value of uh, legislation and regulation. And uh, certainly we're, we're seeing that that can't be discarded as a, a possible part of the pro- of the solution. But it, I just have this intuition that uh, a more holistic or uh, humanistic use of, uh, of social media uh, is something that we are ignoring in the rush to whatever judgment uh, we're making about social media. Does that make sense? It does, but um, I, I, I accept your premise, but I, I'm not sure I accept the conclusion. Um, I think there have been too many stories. Uh, you know, I read the New York Times a lot, so there have been too many stories in the Times about um, the non-failure of, of Facebook, the non-failure of, of social media, uh, non-failure failure being, boy, they really messed us up and they worked exactly as they were designed to work. Um, so w- w- when, I, when I see that, what I, what I think is, is uh, okay, um, you know, we've, we've ridden that paradigm about as far out as we, we can ride it. And it's not, it, it's not necessarily good for us. We need to put some guardrails up and uh, and remember that uh, you know before there was social media, there was the theoretical concept of social networking and how um, you know if you remember Dunbar and, and the Dunbar number, every every human can can maintain about 150 relationships. Um, social media made it possible to to expand that. But even today, you know, somebody who's got uh, thousands of, of Context isn't really maintaining relationships. They're using it as a private broadcast. Well, so, but, you know, perhaps uh, another way of looking at uh, the Dunbar perspective is, is that uh, what it allows you to do 
social media allows you to change or to augment uh, the number of people that you can uh, successfully interact with. It doesn't necessarily increase uh, effectively uh, the number. I mean, if you get a thousand uh, 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 you know, innocuous relationships uh, that take up more time than 10 really important relationships do, uh, that, that's a problem. Do you, do you see my point? There's something about the quality of life as it now exists uh, in, the, uh, in the reality of digital communications that well, hasn't yeah. fully been understood yet. I would completely agree with you, but I, I wouldn't say that uh, uh, if you've got thousands of cust uh, not customers, but thousands of people that you're communicating with, you're not, you're not maintaining relationships. You're you're broadcasting. If you want to you want to maintain relationships, you've got to get down to the Dunbar number, and and that probably means um, either using social media differently or uh, get, getting a different social. Uh, media platform or social media tool set, um, something that's based more on, on uh, notifications, which I know you know a lot about. Well, I, it's not that I know a lot about it. I just uh, intuit that there's something uh, really super important about it. But, you know, there are many people that feel notifications are just a distraction or an interruption or, or, or worse, uh, you know, a violation of privacy. So, uh, it's not that I have an idea of it as much as I have a sense of it. And also in the past, I've had a sense, uh, and I think you've probably had this as well, since you, you, you talk across not only decades, but sometimes centuries in terms of your knowledge. Uh, you, sometimes I see the sort of DNA or the footprint or fingerprints of... Uh, something uh, that I've noticed in the past that turned out to be significant. Uh, I see that in notifications. But beyond that, uh, it's not clear to me what I see. Sure. It's a, I mean, you could call it a coincident uh, innovation uh, or an innovation coincident with social media, but more targeted, more focused. Yeah, and also, uh, you know, somewhat more difficult in terms of there are certain kinds of communications where, uh, you know, you're dealing with a, uh, somebody who absolutely refuses to communicate with you in any other way except notifications, such as uh, at least one of my daughters. And, uh, you know, that there's a certain quality of communication that, uh, is kind of constrained by that uh, insistence, if you follow. I do. I I, I think uh, I think that's I think that's very interesting. I uh, in in some ways I think it, it it can make us seem less human. Yeah, that's right. Or it it can encourage. You know certain characteristics of the communication. I mean, it's it's great. I think notifications are great as a way of uh, signaling that I want to talk to you. 
but not necessarily a great way of signaling what I want to talk to you about. Well, sometimes the signal is really the message, right? The, 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 the signal is everything that, that you need to communicate. Maybe it's, it's not uh, a, an indication that we, we need to talk. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, here's a fact. Uh, maybe something we were talking about yesterday, um, you know, bubbled up and became important. And, oh, here's something, here's something that supports that. See you later. Bye. Right. Uh, in fact, you know, we have this uh, app that we use uh, when we produce this and uh, other versions of, of the Gilmore Gang and other podcasts. I was, on, by the way, on a, a, a uproarious podcast with... Uh, the CRM play as, as I know you were as well. Uh, and luckily the full uh, show has not yet been distributed because that will cause uh, additional embarrassment for me. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I can. Any, I can wait. Anything that embarrasses you should be fun. But it was, what was interesting to me about it was, uh, you know, that much was made by uh, uh, Brent and uh, and Paul, who are the uh, hosts, as it were, of the uh, show about my inability to cede control, uh, you know, as I'm used to having on the Gilmore Gang. Name. Yes, I heard. I heard about that. That's right. But in fact, you know, it's all over the internet. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you call, you know, ten people, commenting, not at all. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, but what was interesting to me about it was is that I was having fun doing that. It wasn't that I am unable to see control. If I, if I was unable to do it, I wouldn't have done the show. I mean, it's a, there's a simple antidote to this, which is never give up control. But, uh, you know, control is not all that it's cracked up to be. I like the fact that I don't know what's going to happen next. Well, there's a lot of... Um responsibility and that that goes with control well i think it's just funny uh you know i know uh, there were certain things that i wanted to ask of these people but yet there's this formal uh you're the host and i'm the guest kind of uh, model that's in play which i also find humorous uh you know frequently uh historically on uh, the gilmore gang there have been times when i have actually not said anything for in some one case uh, about three minutes uh just to sort of try and indicate to the people who were on the call with me that they had equal responsibility for what was going to come next oh uh, yeah uh, okay so, well know, that's dead air as a social uh uh tool pardon the expression I see. Well, I, okay. I'm not sure that's fair. I mean, you invited them because because they presumably you had stuff you wanted to ask them. No, but that that implies that in a conversation there's somebody who's the asker and then there's the askee. Uh, you know, that's an artificial distinction, which uh, I'm just not sure makes a ton of sense. Well, I think it's artificial only because uh, it's it's completely one-sided. A, a real conversation enables both sides to That's right. 
ask and answer, yes. And that's the value proposition to me, is the space in between the nodes, not the nodes. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I suppose you're right. Uh, that's that. what I was afraid you were going to say. Yeah. Well, that's like, uh, oh, come on. I said you were right. How can that be bad? <laughs> well, do you want me to explain it? No, not really. Okay, excellent. It's because you're the interviewer. <sighs> <laughs> and, and I, as both the speaker and the listener, am dismayed. Okay. No, I'm not dismayed at you. I'm dismayed at me for uh, inventing and populating this cul-de-sac and now living in it. Oh, what's life without a good cul-de-sac? So what, what do you think? Uh, have we learned anything so far or yet uh, about uh, the role of social media potentially in saving our bacon, as it were? Well, I think uh, our bacon... Uh, is ours to save. Much like Dorothy just needed to click her heels together and say there's no place like home. Does so that work at the end or at the beginning or both? It worked at the end when she uh, wanted to go home and, mm -hmm. uh, and she woke up in her own bed. So which part of the film uh, was in color and which part was in black and white? Well, the beginning was in black and white and it got colorful when she got to Oz, wasn't it? And then at the end, when she clicked her heels, did it go back to black and white? That's a good question. I don't recall. I, in fact, I don't even like the movie, but so, so I don't know. <laughs> but you're the movie guy. Tell me. I don't know the answer. Yeah. All uh, your listeners are going to be downloading Wizard of Oz and watching it tonight. Well, the last show, there were 78 listeners. Uh, and we don't know how long they listened. So... Uh, well, We'll we'll see. Uh, all yeah, right. Maybe, maybe they only listened to the color part. Maybe they just you know it turned black and white. They just said forget it. Well, I mean, trying to graph this uh, color black and white thing onto uh, the rest of the conversation, I would suggest it's possible that once we go mobile, we uh, are still mobile, and we're looking for you know color, the new color, whatever that might be, to be additive on top of, of mobile. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. That's entirely possible. I haven't, haven't given it any thought whatsoever. So I, I don't know how to comment. So really briefly, uh, let's sneak some politics in here. Uh, what do you think is happening in terms of the democratic race? Um, I think we're beginning to see a couple of bubbles moving. Um, Joe Biden is still leading. Uh, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren seem to be uh, doing okay. I think uh, Warren has gained a couple of points. Bernie's lost a couple. I think Kamala Harris is in there. Um, but I think it's, uh, it's still anybody's race. It's too early to, to start making any kind of predictions, I think, other than to, to say, gee, I can't wait for the debate. Right. Uh, I, I'm not waiting too excitedly for this two-part debate. Uh, I think it's a necess necessary uh, strategy for winnowing the field, but uh, 
I have a sneaking suspicion that the field is winnowing as we sit here uh, and talk. That there's a, uh, you know, there. I think Buttigieg is uh, uh, for real. I don't know that he's got a, a, a chance of getting the nomination, but I think that he will have a big impact, be, mostly because of his real-time uh, speaking skills. I think he's uh, smart and knows how to talk. And that's going to do him well, just like it did JFK well uh, in the advent of television news and press conferences. And uh, I think the, uh, uh, the rest of the field looks... Uh, I, I, you see some people overperforming. I think Biden is, uh, needs to get involved uh, without over, overdoing what he's doing in order to be able to uh, create the impression that he's not scared of getting involved. And, uh, and I think that Warren is overperforming and uh, she may be in uh, she may uh, be capable of uh, surprising me, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the thing you got to ask about an overperformer is how long can they keep it up? And, uh, you know, if the answer is they can keep it up two years, the chances are good they'll at least get a nomination out of it. The thing, the thing that worries me about an under, underperformer is that they all look like Jeb Bush. Yeah, uh, but there's... There's nobody on the Democratic side that's trying to be what Trump was to Jeb Bush and others. I mean, there's, it doesn't seem like anybody's trying to knock anybody else off right now. No, and in fact, uh, taking a page out of Biden's playbook, I think it would be extremely smart for more people to be uh, going toe-to-toe with Trump, whether it's in Twitter land or, or elsewhere. Uh, I think the real... Uh, the real contest for the, for the moment is uh, proving yourself uh, against against Trump. And, uh, you know, Warren, God bless her, she's talking about policies and, and plans, and that's all good. But she's, she's getting, she was the first one to call for an impeachment inquiry, uh, basically saying it's, it's time to do this. Uh, and I think the more you, you, you punch up and go after uh, Trump, I think the, the better it is for your long-term prospects in the primary. I think, however, that uh, there's a tremendous amount of Trump fatigue uh, underway now. Uh, his tweets have less resonance. Uh, his you know, weekly deflections uh, from uh, his legal concerns uh, by you know, amping up these wedge issues, I think are becoming less and less effective. Oh, uh, you know, you start talking about Trump fatigue. I mean, just look at Melania. You mean uh, the example of the canonical example of I'm so sick of this? Exactly. (laughs) Quite frankly, I don't care. Do you? Isn't that what she said on her jacket? On her jacket, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. See, I, I, I was... I. I couldn't understand whether if she was that clever, what's she doing married to the guy? Maybe she's the president. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, you're probably right. 
Yeah. Well, uh, I feel bad for her. You do, uh, and I don't. Uh, uh, I feel bad for us if we can't figure this equation out. Uh, my instinct right now is that uh, the the Democrats have nothing to lose by uh, voting impeachment in the House, and I don't think that they think that's true. I, I think you're right on both on both counts. I think there's a flashing green light um, in front of them. And um, it seems like they're having trouble taking yes for an answer. Well, I think that they are concerned that they're going to lose the House in the next election. But my point would be that if they lose the House in the next election, then it wasn't worth much to begin with. I think you're right. I think if you look at uh, how they won the House, um, they won the House because there, there's a lot of people. That, um, they've certainly... Um, I think, kept their promise and went to Congress and passed a bunch of legislation that's going absolutely nowhere because of Mitch McConnell. Um, and I think, I think they now have, uh, you know, with that in the bank, they have plenty of uh, opportunity to pivot towards, uh, towards impeachment. Right. Well, I, I think that the, the thing that goes along with that is, is that I, the idea that actually starting an impeachment uh, inquiry is going to make their uh, subpoena power more real. I think that's a, a mistaken assumption on their part. I don't know. I'd, li I'd like to run the experiment. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, listen, this has been uh, helpful. I started this uh, strangely, I wouldn't call it depressed, but wondering what Dennis could do to cheer me up, and you've done it. I don't know what I did, but uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and to exercise these big ideas because it's, it's hard to find an inter interlocutor with whom uh, uh, I can have these conversations. It's great. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Be good. Bye.